Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brad. Awesome. Kids, you're dismissed as well. You can go. And uh, <laughs> you'd think they were desperate to get to kids' church or something. I don't know. I've got a, uh, just a couple of things. I did want to talk about mums and uh, tots. That's, uh, it's actually in the prayer room, or what was the prayer room, just down the side. Go and have a look. Uh, Caitlin and Michelle are leading this new ministry. This is a real answer to prayer for me over the last two, three years. I'm very excited about it. If you have little ones, uh, if you know little ones, if you, are, you know, know, live next to somebody who has little ones, let's fill this thing up. Let's make sure that we support this ministry. It's, it's just letting mums get together. And with their little, uh, their babies and their toddlers, and just share life and connect with our community. So it's Thursdays, 11 till 1. Is that correct, Michelle or Caitlin? Are you in the room? Michelle's nodding. Thursdays, 11 till 1. And even if you don't have a baby, um, then visit anyway. Come say hi. And uh, I'm sure they would, would love to see you. We have a couple of pictures from our baptism service last week. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I just wanted to share these. these are, that's Chanel, um, just about to be baptized and then post-baptism. Those are my favorite pictures. Whoa, can we just, I need a little more commentary. Okay, next one. Uh, <laughs> you're just going to keep it on there now, I know. Crystal, she's about to be baptized. Is Crystal, in the, is Crystal here this morning? She, there she is. And where's Waldo? I mean, uh, Marlin. <laughs> is, he, is Marlin here? Oh, that's such a shame. It was such a good joke. Okay. There's Jack, my little guy. And uh, post-baptism, he is underneath that hair somewhere. And, uh, and there's John, and uh, Brad's son. And then a really great picture next. Oh, it's a bit stretched. They're not quite as wide as that, but... That's a good picture, hey, Brad? And then Liz, pre-post, love it. Now the final, uh, oh, and there's Lyndon, I had to throw that in. Look at that guy getting down. He is such a cool bass player. He's kind of got that. Yeah. So his, actually, I don't know if it's going to work, but you know, um, you know how I said this is for Crystal especially? Uh, where's Waldo? He is there. Put your hand up when you see him. Crystal, can you see him? He's, he's at the back there on the left. You see, you can just see his red and white shirt. So I just thought, I just appreciate Marlin bringing that kind of extra element to our service this morning. Of, uh, he's not here, and it's, well, I'm sure you'll pass it on. We love you guys. It's nice to be able to make fun of each other. We're all family. Um, so next week on the 28th, directly after the service, we have a members kind of lunch. It's a bring your own sandwiches. We'll bring some drinks and some goodies. It's just to very quickly go through uh, different aspects of, of membership. I think so far we have about 40 people who have given in their forms. If you've not given in your form, then please do so uh, this morning and so we can get you in. We will be doing these classes regularly, but it'd be good to get you through that as quickly as possible. And uh, I think that's all I need to share. I hope that you have these um, notes. These are really important this morning. You're going to want to use these. There's some questions I'm going to refer to. And version. let me just quickly mention version. Uh, we do have version events set up, instructions right there on that sheet. Can I just say, if version does not work on your phone or your mobile device, it's not our fault. Okay, because I think it's not working. Well, if the wireless is working, or if you have a data plan, it should. You might need to update it. 
I, I don't know, but uh, I hope it does work for you this morning. My wife was the most vehement last week. I couldn't get it to work. I, it's not my fault, though. Mm. I uninstalled. I uninstalled. There you go. Uninstall, reinstall, um, which is what I do every morning with my brain, and uh, it works. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 20. We've got a lot of work to do this morning, and... Um, we, uh, I want to get going reading some scripture. We are starting a new series uh, last week uh, called X10. It's, uh, um, it's, it's all about how to live life free and, and God's design. And so we're going to read the first of the Ten Commandments this morning along with another scripture from Romans. So Exodus 20, and then we'll be turning to Romans chapter 1. Exodus 20, and then Romans chapter 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Here's the first command. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. And then Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Amen. The Ten Commandments are not an end in themselves. They are not the, uh, the plan of life, if you like. It's like me getting into my car and driving to an end destination. Following the rules to get to that destination is not the end goal of driving the car. The end goal of driving the car is to get to the destination. The how we get to the destination, depending on whether we follow the rules or not, will determine whether we end in disaster or not. I, I just came back from uh, Britain a few weeks ago, and, uh, and I spent my first, um, I don't know how many years, 15 years uh, driving in Britain on the left side of the road, which, as you know, is, well, I'm, I'm guessing you know, is where the Brits drive, and so we have lots of roundabouts, just lots and lots and lots of roundabouts and traffic lights. It's the left-hand side of the road, and it always crosses my mind when I get back into a, a car where you're meant to drive on the left, will I remember how to do it? Because I've been driving for the last 11 or 12 years on the right side of the road. Or, um, and so it, it always crosses my mind. So those first few seconds, I have to go in my mind, okay, it's the left-hand side, and then away you go. But it's amazing how quickly your brain actually flicks back to what it knows. If I had decided, no, I don't care what the 60 million people in Britain think, I'm going to drive on the right-hand side of the road, and they can accommodate me. Thank you very much. Um, Well, driving in London, that is not going to get you very far at all. And uh, probably you'll end up in jail or worse, hospital very, very quickly because the rules are clear. You want to get from here to here, you follow the rules of the road. God is saying this in the Ten Commandments. If you want true life, if you want to live free, 
If you want to see that as your destination, if you want to live life in such a way where you feel like you're following the design, then here are the rules. You can choose to ignore them, but it will end in disaster. See, we live in a world that really seems to be in the edge of chaos all the time, especially now since August. We've heard report after report of horrendous things happening around the world, whether it be the beheading of small children by ISIS or what's happening in Ukraine or, or what's happening in Africa. What You choose whatever situation you want. There's this horror that arises up within us, and quite rightly so. But can I just tell you, that is not a new thing in this world. Our awareness of it is new, thanks to the internet and the media and, and the Twitter and all these different media that we, we can actually get, absorb this information. That's new. Our information has risen. Our awareness has increased. But the world is always in chaos. That's not new. But in beautiful Kelowna, we are often aware, unaware of the sorrow, the pain, the injustice that is rampant. In our world, because we're hunkered down in our beautiful society, and then when we read it, we go, The world is going mad. No, the world has always been mad. Does that make it okay? Absolutely not. But you see, what I believe and what I believe the Bible teaches is it's reflected of man and woman living outside the design of God. You read the Ten Commandments and think about what society would be like if we actually followed the Ten Commandments. You'll understand exactly what I mean. The world is reflective of man living outside of the design. So let's jump into this first commandment. No other gods before me. The first thing I want you to know is that the commands are in order of importance. The first Four commands are all about our relationship with God. The next six commands following that are our relationship with others. You just do a, a quick read through, you'll see that they can be very cleanly divided. First four, relationship with God. Last six, relationship with one another, which is why we believe Jesus said, you can summarize all these commands with two. Love God with all your heart, mind, strength, and love your neighbor. It's the two sections of the commands. The, the challenge is, friends, is that you can't do one without the other. See, Israel, at this time when God gave the commands to Israel, they were in absolute chaos. They were all over the place. And, and God says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going I'm to show you how to live life, what the design for life is. And the very first thing, the first thing first is love me. More than any other God. If you want to learn to live the design that God has created for you, number one, love God more than any other God. Martin Luther said, and I paraphrase, that if you obey the first command, all the other commands take care of themselves. If you place God first in your life, everything else follows. God points to himself, nothing else, as the answer. He places himself first, unapologetically, because he knows that the answer to life's issues and life's design to, to true life live free is placing God first. 
There have been many times that I've stood before you and confessed various things, some of which have been very serious, and I hope that, uh, that you've taken them in the seriousness they're meant, and other things not so serious. And, and I find that when I confess the not so serious things, they have a tendency to come round and bite me a little while later. And so, for example, I confess that I don't like sparkles and, and sprinkles and, you know, those things that just seem to be the plague of the art industry. You just can't get rid of it. And then, of course, Maureen, bless her heart, at Christmas made sure that everything that I touch around here is covered in sparkles. I'm still finding sparkles everywhere. I have another confession to make, and this is perhaps the hardest, but it's true. Much of the joy of the females in my family, my wife and my two girls, I've kind of got a little bit hooked onto Downton Abbey. My son looks horrified he genuinely looks at me when, I come, when he comes into the room and I'm watching it. He looks at me as like, I've lost all manhood. Like, who are you? And I, I'm actually quite transfixed because somebody dies in every episode. It feels like. How many of you watched Downton Abbey? Oh, you see. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. Oh, you pulled your hands down pretty quick. Let me see you. Hands up if you watched Downton Abbey. All right. Well, you'll know what I mean. Somebody dies almost every episode, and I have a theory that they should just never open any of their letters because every letter seems to be filled with bad news. And, and so Downton Abbey is, has kind of hooked me a little bit. I must, I must admit, I confess it. I confess it. But there's this brilliant character in there called Carson. Carson is the butler. He's the Lord's butler. And, and if the Lord is here at his table, Carson kind of stands here. And he's so aloof. He's so proper. It's, he has this air of, of, of criticism about him all the time, regards what's happening. He's almost analyzing it as to whether or not he thinks it's right or not, and just looks quite severe, although he's got a good heart. And he'll go, yes, my Lord, certainly my Lord. And he'll go and do whatever bidding the Lord gives. Can I tell you? The Lord is the center of the circle there. Carson is there to do the bidding of the Lord. Here's what we do. In the beginning, God... But what we actually do is this. In the beginning, Glenn. And we put ourselves in the center of the circle and expect God to act a little bit like Carson to come and do our bidding whenever we see fit to include him. Looks a bit serious. Looks a bit unapproving, disapproving at things. But he's there whenever we want him. If there's an issue or challenge, then we'll go, Carson, could you please go and get whatever? Could you please improve my grades? Could you please heal so-and-so? Could you please get me that job? Yes, my Lord. And we expect God to go and do it. And then get angry when he won't. Can I tell you that God does not place us in the center of the circle? He places himself. And that's where the analogy falls down. We are not the butlers either. He actually says, no, no look, I'm center, but come, come join me. You will never be the most important. I will always be the most important, but come have relationship with me. He places himself first. This command is the hinge, the axis, if you like, on which all the other commands revolve. You take this out, you just get a list of to-dos and it crushes you. You keep God in the center, then this list suddenly becomes something that is freeing. Because friends, secondly, we all worship something. Notice that when God says, you shall have no other gods before me, or some translations say, beside me, and we'll come to that in a second, 
God is not saying this. Hey, it's a good idea if you worship something, and if you do decide to worship something, can you please let it be me? He makes an assumption. He says very categorically, we all worship something. You shall have, you shall have no other gods before me. See, whatever other gods you have, this one has to be first. I should be first. Why is this command first? Very simply, if we disobey this command, it's the sin of sins. It's the ultimate sin. It's the rejection of God himself. It's the main thing that is wrong with us, friends. If you want to know what is wrong in the world, if you want to know what is wrong in your life or what is disjointed, is that ultimately you can track it back to this command that if God is first, then everything else seems to come in alignment. See, the Bible teaches that really there are as many religions as there are people in the world. I know almost 7 billion. See, we all have something that we're worshiping. You, you may have been, or you perhaps are a skeptic or an atheist or an agnostic, and you, or you'll say, I'm not religious. Can I lovingly and gently and pastorally say that that's absolute garbage? You are religious. You religiously worship something. You religiously put something first. We all do. And God says this. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. The question is, and what we're called to examine ourselves on is this. Who is your God? What do you worship? Who is your God? What is it you worship? That's the question. You see, he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Some translations say, beside me. You see, if I said to my wife, Sarah, you know, I just feel there's come a time in our marriage when I need to have other relationships beside you. Suddenly, all intimacy with my wife is destroyed. You cannot have an intimate relationship with somebody if you are putting something before them or even beside them or around them or above them or below them. It doesn't matter. Any, the second that you align another love and say, I equally love this person, then, then that relationship starts to decay. Now, forget the relationship between man and woman for a second. You find God, the second you put anything else beside God, before God, underneath God, over God, with God, Jesus and, whatever it might be, then the intimate relationship that we're capable of having with God starts to break down. God will not be aligned with anything else. It is not Jesus and whatever God that you've brought in from previous life or previous expectations or previous um, experiences. This is very serious. This is why I'm being very serious with you. Because I truly believe if we could grab hold of what I'm going to share with you this morning and you could see the difference between what essentially is idolatry and what is God put in place in God first, and if we can pursue that, then we can actually have a life that is designed by God. Peter Krift, or Krift, I should say, the philosopher said this, the opposite of Christianity is not atheism, it's idolatry. The opposite of Christianity is not atheism, but idolatry. You can say you do not believe in God or you're not religious. That is not the issue. The issue is, is you're worshiping something else. 
You're worshipping something else. So what are these gods that we serve? What are these gods that we serve? For the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Israelites, there was an unbelievable number of gods. To just name three or four, you have Ashtera, you have Baal, you have Molech, you have Shamash, all these different gods. And the reason they had so many different gods, and many religions are still this way, so please, please listen to me. The reason there were so many gods is everywhere they turned, there was a perceived danger. Whether it be a rock or a storm or a river or some, a, a, a certain kind of wind coming from a certain kind of direction. It could be a certain animal. It could be the sea. It could be a thunderstorm. It could be a, a neighbor that is angry. There's all these dangers that surround them. There's this disaster waiting to happen wherever they go. That was their, that was their worldview. And so this wall of fear that surrounded the people, they, they built up specific actions or rituals that they thought if they did these, it would protect them from the dangers. If I do this, this is the essence of religion. If I do whatever it is, then I will get whatever the desired outcome is. It's the essence of religion. Whatever religion, apart from Christianity, specific actions were needed to safeguard them. And aren't we the same? C.S. Lewis had a, a phrase uh, saying that he, he believed that we suffered from chronological snobbery. And what he means by that is, is that we think that anybody that's gone before us somehow is inferior to us. Any of those of you who have uh, teenage children, you perhaps have experienced this when you suggest that you watch a movie that was <gasps> about 15 years old. Well, when was this made? Well, about 2000. Did they make movies then? Yeah, it's actually really good. I can't see how it could be. Well, why not? Because it's not modern. Or, you know, you, can, you go further back, like to the 1950s. Well, were there people actually alive then? Who would have known? They must have been, they must have been driving around in wagons with stone wheels and trying to make fire. No, they actually weren't. They were civilized, intelligent, smarter than you. Who would have thought? You go back a thousand years or two thousand years or ten thousand years right back, then you start edging for all of us. We somehow think, ah, well, the reason they had all these gods is they were all just a bit uncivilized, just not very intelligent. You know, who's going to be afraid of a windstorm? That's crazy. That's chronological snobbery. Because what we've done is we've just replaced some of the fears with our own fears. So instead of having a fear of a windstorm, and hey, you know what? You may have a fear of a windstorm, and I'm not judging you. You know, you need prayer, and let's do coffee. But we have a fear of rejection and loneliness. So we've replaced Baal with rejection or loneliness. We've replaced Shamash with a fear of failure. Maybe we have a fear of being forgotten or looked over, a fear of sickness a fear of uncertainty, a fear of age, a fear of ridicule, a fear of poverty. And so we have all these fears that we're surrounded by and our response is that we have these actions and rituals to try and appease these false gods. We've created our own gods. Romans 1, uh, Romans 1 verse 24. Therefore, 
God gave them up in their lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among them, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature, created things, rather than the creator. So here's what I'm saying, friends. We all constantly, persistently struggle with worshipping those things in life that we have created more than we worship the creator himself. We do. Just like the ancients, we believe that unless these gods are appeased, we are in danger. So here are some examples. Let's take relationships. doesn't matter if you're agnostic or atheist. It makes no difference. You take one person who hasn't dated for a year. You take another person who hasn't dated for a year. Depending on what their false god is, will depend on their response to that. Some of them will be fine. Others will be completely devastated. Somebody who doesn't return a call. Some of you don't care. Others of you are devastated. Depending on how somebody treats you will depend on what your emotions are like. You've given control of your emotions and your well-being and even your physical well-being over to somebody else. And depending on how that person treats you will depend on what you are like. You have a false god, my friends, of relationship. You are placing relationship above anything else, and you are fearful of the outcome unless you serve that. So if that person texts you a nice message, you feel good. If they text you an ambiguous or cryptic message, you feel bad. It's a false God. You, listen, need that relationship. Not want it, not enjoy it, not find it helpful or appreciate it or love it. You need it. You need that boyfriend. You need that girlfriend. It's a need that is serving a deeper false God in your life. As harsh as this may sound, we know that it's the truth because the result of serving this false God is depression, gossip, bitterness, even eating disorders that are so obsessed with making sure that we're accepted, that we will do horrendous things, especially young women will do horrendous things to their bodies so they will get accepted and drawn into a certain group that they desperately need to be part of. It's false God worship. It's idolatry. It's destructive, which is exactly what the enemy wants. The thing we worship, we serve, consumes us, and we sacrifice to it. Secondly, another one, success. Don't get me wrong, working hard is good. It's godly. The Bible says we should work hard. We should fall into bed at night exhausted because we've worked hard. It's a good, godly thing to do. But being driven because you are trying to prove something is idolatry. It's become your identity. You are, no, you are a nobody until somebody recognizes you, appreciates you, pats you on the back and says, well done. Unless you get that good grade, unless you get that promotion, unless you get that money, there's that drive to be something better. And we will sacrifice our family, our time, our resources to this God of success. Perhaps the one God that I think is grips our society more than any other is the God of the body or physique. Nothing wrong with wanting to be healthy. The Bible says we ought to look after our bodies. 
But the second that the body becomes an idol and we will sacrifice and obsess and worship it, it becomes above anything else. It's a false god. This one I read about and I had to reflect on and pray for myself because I will be honest with you and say this is one that I struggle with. It's the false god of certainty. When we get anxious and worry because we desperately need something to be certain in the future that we don't know will happen or not. And what that can result in is control. It can result in, in, uh, in, in deep anxiety and worry because something could come down the line. And I'm great at figuring out what could be. I, I mean, it just gets bigger and worse and worse. It leads to stress because we can't be certain. It becomes what we think about. It becomes what we talk about. And it pulls us down. Parents. The greatest leverage I could give you is this. Do not pass your false gods onto your children. Make God the no other God. Make him your ultimate for reasons I'm going to share in a second. You place God first in your life above any other false god that you might have. You really need to examine yourself. Find out what it is you're worshiping and do not pass those anxieties and worries onto your children. Especially the one of success. The one of physique. We need to identify our own false gods and we need to bring them to God and recognize that perhaps we place them above God. There are numerous, millions that I could identify probably. Could be money, could be looks, could be health. Number four. God versus gods. God versus gods. Why God first? Why not false gods first? Why is it a bad thing? Often, friends, it's not a bad thing. That's the danger. I preached about this before in, in church. It says in Ezekiel that man has a habit of making idols of the heart. And what often happens is something that is really good and wholesome and wonderful, we tames into making it ultimate. It goes from good to ultimate. It becomes from uh, negotiable to non-negotiable. And I've often used the image of open hand, closed hand. We talk about this at our family a lot. Is this a, is this a closed non-negotiable to you when it comes to God? Let me give you an example. God, you can have my whole life. You can, you can do whatever you want with me, but don't ask me to give this up. Don't ask me to give money to the church. Mm-mm. False God. Because you're concerned and worried that if you do give money to the church, you're not going to have enough money, and therefore you're serving something that ultimately will keep you enslaved. God, you can have whatever you want, but don't touch this, children. We struggle with this, parents. I do not stand here as somebody, my children will attest to this, as somebody going, you know what, I live with an open hand on my children. (laughs) Fine, do what they like. No. You see, I've made what's good, we make ultimate. That they have to be a certain way. It becomes from a negotiable God. You can have everything including this. You are first. Including over this. 
And we struggle to keep our hands open. And what happens is we close it and it becomes an idol of the heart. And if you read Ezekiel, God says very clearly, I won't listen to them. They have got idols before me. This is harsh stuff. Because it's important that we understand what it is that we're dealing with. God was serious. I'm serious. I'm serious with myself. I'm serious with you. We need to identify what our gods are. What are the non-negotiables? What are the closed fists? We say God is our closed fist. He's our non-negotiable. He comes first until this comes up and we drop God. Now it's this. If this starts to shake, who do we go to? Butler God. And we pick him up and go, well, help me out here, God. And we continually drop and pick up and drop and pick up, depending on what else is going on, often depending on what's happening with these false gods. What is it that you worry most about? What is it that you are most afraid of? What do you think about most of the time? What are you most upset about losing? Can I say that these false gods can come in very particular ways? Often they start as good, but become ultimate and therefore bad. There's nothing wrong with children. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with Facebook. There's nothing wrong with the internet. But the second it becomes a non-negotiable, it becomes an idol, and we put it first. And then when somebody comes along and goes, hey, maybe you, should, maybe you should think about not going on the internet for a little while, or maybe not go on Facebook. It's like, <gasps> I could never do that. False God. It's really quite simple to identify. So why is it so bad? Why is it so destructive? Why is it that God places it first? Why is it that God says, if you have false gods and you've taken idols into your heart, I will not even listen to you. Why, why is it so bad? C.S. Lewis said this. I like C.S. Lewis. Some of his stuff freaks me out, but he makes some really good statements when it comes to Christianity. Most people, if they really learn to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. Let me say it again because it's so good. If they really learn to look, if, let's personalize it. If we really learn to look into our own hearts, we would know that what we want, what we want acutely is something that we can't find in this world. We're not going to find it here. The thing that we want can only be found in God. How do I know this? It's because when we get the answer, it's still not enough. The longing for something else remains, doesn't it? I've got to have that car. Why do you want that car? Am I saying the car's a false god? Could be, but there's an underlying reason why you want the car. Is it because you think you're going to be more accepted? Is it you think people will see you as successful? Is it because unless you feel that you have that car that you are a failure? Is it because you need to show somebody who you are trying to worship, a mom or a dad, that you've actually made it in life? What's the real underlying false God? Because once you get the car, these things still remain. Do you see? The issue still remains. The, the answer, the longing still remains. Friends, when life hits you hard, is your God able? The God that you are serving is he able? Is your, if your uh, idol is good looks and physique, 
when it all starts getting messed up and saggy and things start dropping off. I don't know if that's true. Where's my kneecap? Oh. I woke up this morning again with a pain in my neck. I feel like I've done a round with a UFC fighter. As far as I know, that didn't happen last night. I was fine before I went to bed. So if my God is my physique, and I'm serving that, I'm giving money to it, I'm assessing over it, I'm reading about it, I'm thinking about it, I'm watching movies about it, that's all I'm doing, false God, false God, false God, that when I actually get sick or things get old and things start sagging and and stuff, is my God able to save me? Can I treadmill my way into forgiveness? Can I bench press my way out of shame? Can I elliptical? I'm trying to think of exercise machines. <laughs> Start getting older and older. What's that crazy one that was like this, but your legs went like that as well? It was on TV, the guy with the crazy hair. Oh, no, it wasn't. It was... It was no, no, I'm, I, know, I know those two. I'm thinking of something that just looked ridiculous. I'm trying to think. It was something called like the gazelle or something. Completely ridiculous. But in all seriousness, friends, you can't, you can't facelift your way into guiltlessness. You can't invest your money into freedom. Is your God able? Is your God, if your God is relationships, what happens when that person is taken away? If your God is success, what happens when you fail? If your God is getting that great grade or that great job, what happens when you don't? What about when you come to a broken place? When you can't forgive yourself and you feel depressed, you feel shame and you feel inadequate. Would your God save you then? When God says worship Only me. He is pointing to Jesus. Hebrews says that Jesus is the substance of God's glory. He is all God. He is all man. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. He is the substance. When God says, worship only me, he's pointing to the sacrifice that he made on the cross for each one of you. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He alone deserves our praise. He is the one who willingly took your sin, your shame, your guilt to the cross and allowed it to die with him so you could live free. If there is one person who is able to give you freedom, it is Jesus. It is not only our duty to worship Him, it is our privilege to worship Him. He is Savior. He is Lord. Idolatry is slavery. Because those gods need to be pacified. That's why I think it's hilarious when the world says, or Christianity is full of rules, Have you looked at your world recently? If you don't follow these rules, you don't dress a certain way, look a certain way, have a certain car, live in a certain house, live in a certain neighborhood, speak in a certain way, listen to the right kind of music, look at the right kind of art, rule upon rule upon rule, you're rejected. It's slavery. This is contrasted with freedom found in God. So what does it look like when we put God first? Here's the good news. This is what our life can look like. When God is ultimate, a rock is a rock. That's pretty deep, hey? I even wrote it down. When God is ultimate, 
this is the only thing you're going to remember. And you're going to go, what did Pastor Glenn speak about? Well, something about a rock and things. I don't know. A God is ultimate. A rock is a rock. A storm is a storm. The sea is the sea. The river is a river. Your neighbor is your neighbor. The guy cutting you off in traffic is just a guy cutting you off in traffic. Your kid kicking off is just your kid kicking off. Because suddenly you're not putting all your hopes and dreams in something happening. You're not trying to appease something. Your focus is in God that is above that. Being ignored is just being ignored. Doesn't control you. Having a spot on your face or a zit, whatever you Canadians call them, is just a spot or a zit on your face. You don't have to just stay in bed all day. You think I'm talking crazy, but being looked over at work for that promotion doesn't matter. When you get a B grade, it's just a grade. When a plan doesn't work out, it's okay. When a dream isn't fulfilled, that's all right. Losing money investments doesn't matter because your hope is not in the investment. Your hope is in God. When your kids leave, your security is in Him. When you get sick, there is hope and freedom. When we make God our non-negotiable and we make that our negotiable with an open hand, the freedom that is found in keeping our focus on that, knowing that he is in ultimate and complete control of this. He loves my kids first more than me. That's a struggle, isn't it? All the kids in the room are going, yes! I hope my mom and dad listen to this. What are your things? What are your non-negotiables? Well, my mom and dad have got to do this. Is that a non-negotiable to you? How do we form a closed fist around God and an open hand on everything else? In order to make a rock a rock, really beautifully, wonderfully, simply, finally, gods are dealt with by worshiping the Creator not the created first. We need to reverse the creator-creature focus. We need to make God first. So the first thing, and these are on your notes, the first thing you do, there's three things. The first thing you need to do is we need to honestly and, and sincerely take time to examine ourselves. There's a list here on your, on your notes and it's also on you version and, and community group leaders, I encourage you to start here in your groups. Just look at the talk it over questions. This is not on the screen behind us. But I wrote this question down. What could be put in place of the word God in the following statements? You could use these to examine yourself. That's what I'm saying. What could you put in place of the word God? God Gives me purpose, meaning, and fulfillment. That's closed fist, non-negotiable. Or do we actually say that this gives us purpose, meaning, and fulfillment? What would you put instead of God? God governs the way I act. God is the focus of my life. God is often in my thoughts, and I get enthusiastic about God. Thoughts of God comfort me when I am depressed. I read about God, I talk about God, I make friends with those who are committed to God. I desire more of God. Depending on how you answer those questions will depend on whether you have a closed fist, non-negotiable view of God or not. 
We need to look at ourselves and say, what is really our motivation for feeling this way? We need to look under the loneliness. We need to look under the drive for success. We need to look under the anger, the, the suffering, and say, what is really at stake here? What is it that I'm really worried about? And we need to see them as false gods and idols. Secondly, so after examining ourselves, we need to recognize it for what it really is. We need to see how crippling it is that if we continue to try and serve this false God rather than the, the God, it's going to cripple and enslave us. How controlling it is, what sacrifices we are making to serve it. And then finally, we need to praise Jesus. We need to remember and believe that Jesus is the Savior, not whatever it is. That Jesus is the joy. That Jesus is the peace. That Jesus, that you are my security, not this. You see, James 1 says that God is a jealous God. And friends, that is good news. Why is it good news? If he's jealous because he loves us. He doesn't want to see us crippled by the false gods that we're worshiping. You see, the Israelites were being messed up. They were being challenged. They were in such a mess. And he said, look, if you want to get out of this, make me first. I love you. I'm passionate towards you. I will give my son to you. If you worshipped me completely and utterly, you'd be totally mine. You'd be totally happy. You would be living with the design in mind. Friends, do we believe that? You see, God's commandments might seem severe or narrow-minded, but it speaks to what we long for the most. What C.S. Lewis said, if we really think about what is it we want, we want security. We want acceptance. We want joy. We want peace. We want fulfillment. We want purpose. We want love. All of these found as we focus on Jesus, focus on what he did on the cross for us. Christians, please, we all struggle. If we were just ultimately like Christ, we would be in heaven. While we're on earth and we're struggling with our focus to keep God as a non-negotiable, it forces us to keep our eyes upon him because he is our hope. He is our salvation. He is our joy. But we need to be truthful with ourselves. You can't have this and this. It will always be one over the other. You can't have any other God beside me. It's not this and this. It's always God first. It will change the way you think. It will change the way you act. It will change the way you think, uh, speak. And it's a daily, daily exercise. It is not a, yep, I just dealt with that God. All my focus is on, no, it's daily. But let's fight for it. Because even in the fight for it, even in that joy of wrestling for it, there is freedom to be found. For some of you, that might mean that today, you sit down and maybe some of you journal Maybe some of you don't, and whatever that looks like for you, you open up your Bible. Maybe you close your eyes, or you go for a walk, whatever it might look like for you, and you say, God, I confess that I've been placing false gods before you. And I think, God, what these are, the, my false gods, please show me if there are any others, and speak them out. Recognize them for what they are. And then humbly ask God to enable you and by his spirit, empower you 
to keep your focus upon him. Friends, those of you who don't know Jesus, will your God save you? Does your God offer you eternal salvation? Does your God offer you freedom? Do you truly believe that that which you are worshiping and serving and sacrificing for will ultimately give you eternal fulfillment? Because there have been many, many millions and billions of people before you who have proven you wrong. And then there are many, many millions of people before you who have had their focus on Jesus, who would say their fulfillment, their freedom is found in him because forgiveness is found in him. These are weighty things to think about. It doesn't get more important than this. It affects our children and our children's children. It affects us. This is important. Please do not, even in our worship time next, don't skip over this in your thinking. Come to him in your, in your prayers and ask him to show you and pray. He's such a good God. The fact, and I will finish with this, the fact that he allows himself to be worshipped by us because I'm so separated by my sin. The fact that he seeks me out is motivation alone for me to come to him and say, thank you, God. Help me to put you first. Next week, we're going to look at um, not making false images and it's connected with what I've said today. And so I hope that you will, you will come back next week. It's the, this is the who you're worshiping. Next week is more the how we worship God. But my prayer is this week that you will put time aside to seek him and to know him and put him first. Let's pray. Dear God, it's, it's hard to be reminded of what is often going on in our hearts. And yet, Lord, I pray that we would leave this morning with the hope that that which we struggle with on a daily basis can actually be found to be freed in, in you and forgiven in you. And Lord, I thank you that as we read the Bible that we are, we are shown ourselves. And so God, I, I pray that more than any self-help program we can get, that Lord, that this morning, that by your spirit, you would, you would draw us to you. That Lord, that we would humble ourselves before you. That those people who don't know you, Lord, would, would ask for forgiveness and they would experience the joy of salvation. Thank you, God, that you are a jealous God. You love us. You're passionate about us. You care about getting this right. Lord, I pray that we would be equally passionate and equally jealous for you. Thank you, Jesus.